1: It is rapid fire. So now, we're going to lead with this. Here's what Drew Tranquil tweeted about the targeting call on J.D. Bertrand. This is from Drew Tranquil, Irish alum, of course, Los Angeles Charger. That's a horrible call on J.D. Bertrand. The targeting penalty is well-intentioned, but to eject someone for playing great technique is a shame. Great middle-read technique by J.D. So, Jesse,
2: do you buy that or do you sell it? I mean, you're asking a very biased question here. So <laughs> I'm a hunter. I'm asking a
1: linebacker, a, que- a former linebacker, that question. So, yeah,
2: I, I you know, and uh, bias, aside though, all jokes aside, I, I completely buy uh, what Tranquil is saying. And I thought in live time, I thought JT G- Bertrand G- was just, how do you do that? You know, it's just your first playback or maybe even first series back. I can't necessarily remember. Um, but as soon as he comes in, he's put into a tough, spe- a tough, like, like he would like the, the technique that Tranquil was describing. That's a hard play because he's got to cover him and then make, you know, make the tackle. And I thought that the tackle was led with face mask into the shoulder. I thought it was a clean hit. It only looks dramatic because you you May threw that to his guy up the seam knowing he's going to take a lick. Like, that, that is a play where your guy is going to take a lick almost instantly of catching the ball. So I thought the technique was good. Orlowski pointed out a good point. That's like a six foot two. Bertrand compared to a six foot six, you know, bigger body. I can't remember if it was tight end or wide receiver, but he was a tight end.
1: According to their official listed heights, Bertrand is six one, Nesbitt, Bryson Nesbitt is six foot five. So you're still talking about four inches difference right there. And I think that's a factor as well.
2: Right. And he didn't, he didn't lead with the crown of his helmet. His face mask struck the defender in his shoulder pads. It was not in the neck, it was not in the head, it was not. It was a beautiful football play. I thought that, you know, he made the coverage, he made the tackle, and he did what he was supposed to, and it only looks dramatic because of what we were talking about, that that whoever is catching the ball in that play design is going to get hit hard no matter what, and it's going to catch them off guard. They're not going to yeah. be prepared for the hit. And so, unfortunately for J.D. Bertrand, it was just, you know, any other linebacker that makes that play, they're doing what they're supposed to um, but he just didn't lead with the crown, in my opinion. He didn't, you know, try to what's the word, uh, like spearhead. You know, there was no launch with the header head. I thought it was face mask right into the shoulder pads, just a natural football play. So, and that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And again,
1: when you start with the fact that Bertrand is four inches shorter than the guy, you know, just naturally, you know, there's, there's going to be you. you your tackle is going to be at a different level when the guy is you know, kind of bent over like that. Bertrand hit, and I, and I watched this play, I don't know how many times, probably at least 20 times today, stopping it, freezing it, backing it up, stopping it, freezing it, and then listening to Dan Orler, Orlovsky's commentary in there as well and what he had to say about it. And he agrees with what we're saying. Bertrand hits Nesbitt with his face mask first on Nesbitt's right shoulder. Again, Mr. Former Middle Linebacker, what do they teach you when you're tackling? What's
2: for the sky, the first thing you want to strike with is your face mask to the chest. Yes,
1: see what you hit, right? See what you hit. That is always what they say. And that is exactly what Bertrand does. His face plows into Nesbitt's right shoulder. See what you hit. And Bertrand literally sees it when he hits the face mask on Nesbitt's shoulder. That's the first contact. It wasn't like and there's there's no disputing it. Was there some incidental contact between the top of his helmet and like the you know like the bottom of Nesbit's you know kind of face mask area? Yeah, but that was after the initial comment or contact and Nesbit's head kind of jostles a little bit because of the impact of the hit. The first contact is there and Orlovsky's going, oh, that's an awful call. He did not lead with the crown of his helmet and that's what it's supposed to be. He's not launching himself up into his head. He didn't hit anything with the crown of his helmet. Any contact that was made by Bertrand's helmet to Nesbitt came after that first contact was made. You know, again, when he comes up a little bit because he's he's in the process of making a tackle, you know. So someone on Twitter, you know, was coming after me talking about how Bertrand hasn't played well this year and all this different stuff. That may be true, but that does not negate the fact that that was a bad call. By the officials, J.D. Bertrand has not played as well so far this year as he did last year. Now he made a couple plays in in that game specifically against North Carolina. His overall play has not been what it was last year, but that has nothing to do with this specific play. The only question is, was it targeting or was it not? It, you know how he's played has nothing to do with that call and how anyone should feel about that call. So there is a new rule this year. The uh, the NCAA changed the rule on targeting this year, and it looks like <laughs> looks like Jesse's internet has uh, been.
2: Uh, are are you still with me right now? I don't know what's going on. I, my neighbors are driving me crazy. They're setting off smoke alarms. They're, oh, they're awesome. doing stuff with all the Wi-Fi today. So. Cool. I don't cool. know what's going on, but it's, yeah, so, it's a very so, frustrating evening right now. So we're
1: transitioning into, there is a new rule this year that the NCAA instituted that allows teams to appeal targeting calls that happen in the second half of games. So in other words, you know, Notre Dame, if they want, could appeal to the NCAA that this should not have been called targeting. Now, Marcus Freeman, after the game in the immediate, you know, in the press conference, said it was targeting. There's no question. And he's basically went to, we've got to teach JD, you know, how to tackle better. And all I didn't stuff. like that. No, I didn't either. And especially without the benefit, you know, what do coaches always say? I've got to see the film. Because watching it live, if all you did was watch it live, then you can make, you know, you can make a snap judgment for what you think it's going to be, but you need to see that frame by frame, which is what they're supposed to do when they're looking in the booth to determine was it actually targeting or was it not? I can't believe they upheld it, but my question to you is, would you appeal
2: this call if you're Notre Dame? I don't understand why you wouldn't appeal. The worst thing that they can say is no, and you're already in a no situation, so why not get have the opportunity of getting a yes? There's no consequence to appealing. It's not like his uh, his suspension would get like added on or you know th- anything like that. There's no reper- repercussions, in my opinion, to appealing. And like you said, I just can't believe that they went to the booth and still determined that this was targeting. Um, and so, and again, another point is, if I'm Marcus Freeman, I understand you know you want to say, oh, we got to teach our players better, but you haven't seen the hit. You know, you haven't. I, I'm more so. Why not protect your player until you've seen the hit and maybe right. come out and say on Monday at your you know weekly press conference that we've gone through it. We've talked with JD. We need to, you know, he needs to figure out a way. We need to teach him a way to strike better. But to come out and say automatically that it was targeting and not really defend your player and not really show that you have maybe the inkling to, to appeal it was really off-putting for me and kind of an off-putting situation. One of the only off-putting situations that I can think of that I've kind of experienced with Marcus Freeman so far.
1: Yeah, I was... I was surprised that that he was, you know, I guess that definitive with his response to it again, because coaches always want to say, Well, I gotta go back and look at the film. Again, if all you're doing is watching it live as it happens and you're you're watching it from across the field, you know, and like on the targeting. Now I wasn't in the stadium, so I can't say for sure what they showed, but they typically don't show that kind of stuff, you know, up on the Jumbotron, you know, like the the targeting reviews. And, and stuff like that. But if you're watching it live, it looks worse than it actually was. Because, again, Bertrand is four inches shorter than Nesbitt, which makes it look like Bertrand maybe is, you know, like just his trajectory is going upwards. But he's not really going upwards. He's going into him. It's just that he's four inches shorter than him. You know, so it it looks a little bit different. But if you slow it down and watch it, again, what actually happened which they would do in an appeal, you can see there is no actual targeting because he didn't go helmet to helmet by any means. The first contact is with Bertrand's face mask to the shoulder, and then you get some incidental grazing afterwards. So I would ab- absolutely appeal if I am Notre Dame. I'm curious to see if they do. We won't potentially be able to find that out until next week, but uh, I will be really curious to see if they do appeal that that targeting. Because now you're, you know, again, you were already without JD Bertrand in the first half of North Carolina. He comes back in, immediately makes impact, stripping the ball away from May and forcing that fumble. And then you had a big play right there. So I would absolutely, I would absolutely appeal this since that is a new possibility this year. Fill in the blank, Jess. ABC's broadcast of the Notre Dame Carolina game was blank.
2: Uh, the broadcast itself was great uh the production not as great I yes, thought and that, we're
1: talking we're, yeah we're talking about the the
2: overall we're talking about it all baby ah so in, in, in those terms I wouldn't say great I would say subpar. it reminded me a lot of the Ohio State uh, game not you know not not great camera work not you know knowing where to be at the right times I thought Orlovsky uh, was really good I enjoyed listening to him throughout the game. Did he have a couple of things wrong here and there? Yeah, but I mean, hes it's its a tough job to kind of, you know, prepare for a college team like that completely in one week. I thought he did a very good job, you know, given the situation. Um, but yeah, overall, the, the whole package, it was underwhelming. And if it for someone, you know, a, a, a product like Notre Dame, and I'm not just saying this as a fan, I'm saying the product of Notre Dame, knowing how many viewers you're going to get, I think that you can do better. Um, and they need to do better, knowing you know what kind of viewership they're going to get because Notre Dame is playing.
1: I'm going to go back in just a second. Salty has a question about that, you know, the appeal process, and I'll get to that here in a second. But to this, I mean, start with the Lorenzo Styles touchdown pass. They were completely fooled because you know they lock in on the play fake to estimate. You've got Styles running a a, a post. You get a touchdown only. We don't see the touchdown pass for almost five minutes. We don't even get a replay. They started to show the replay, but they go and show them kicking the extra point instead. So then we go to commercial break. We come back. Again, it takes almost five minutes to get to see that. So, I mean, the production there was horrible. He called Harry, Heastand, Harry Heistand Harry Highstand once, <laughs> which was, you know, it reminded me of the first game of the season when Fowler and Herb Street were talking about a Harry Heistand. And they are now, uh, obviously, Herb Street and Fowler don't have any control over the, you know, the director and, and the cameras and all that stuff. But then they're zooming in on somebody on the sideline that is supposed to be Harry Easton, but it was not Harry Easton. And, you know, so there, there were just like both times we've seen ABC. It has been really sloppy so far, all, you know, along the lines with the production and the direction of the game. It has been really bad. I like Orlovsky's technical Knowledge, you know, I, I like his ability to explain why things happen. That kind of thing. He called Maris Leopow the impact player of the game early. Talked about his tremendous natural instincts. We saw more of that, I think, than we've seen this this year in the game. You know, again, maybe part of that's because North Carolina's offense was so simple. But still, he talked about Michael Mayer as being the most complete tight end in the nation because of his willingness to block. You know, and then you know after, and then after the, remember the timeout that Marcus Freeman took with 28 seconds left in the half, and you know there was all this, you know, what were they going to go for it? Are they going to kick it? He predicted that that Freeman was going to kick it after taking the timeout. So, I thought that was was good. Bob was shoosing, not bad. You know, he's but I think or, Orlovsky really elevates that broadcast. I think the one knock on him would be the fact that he spends all week talking about the NFL and then he has to go outside that right. to prepare for college games on the weekend. So they, I think that hurts him a little bit because there were you know, some more details that maybe he's not as up on as he needs to be specific about the team. But that's what's going to happen when you're talking about the NFL all week and you're calling college games on the weekend.
2: My quick rapid fire back to you. Do you think in that very first North Carolina possession where they get down there and they line up for field goal and then Freeman – Calls timeout because he's like, ah, something's fishy here. Do you think if Freeman doesn't call that timeout, Carolina just kicks that ball and and then it's over with? Or does Freeman calling that timeout cause a touchdown? Because I think Freeman overthought it, calls the timeout, and then they said, okay, well, thanks. We're going to second think, you know, you're going to burn a timeout. We're going to second think this and and get a good play out there. And we're going to, and they ended up scoring. So I think that that's uh, some inexperience as a coach. Me personally, I think that timeout led to North Carolina's touchdown.
1: I think it very well may have, Uh, you know, I think that, you know, for the, for the most part, you know, again, like there was another time where Freeman takes a timeout and, you know, I think that he's got Mac Brown kind of guessing and stuff like that. What are they going to do? You know, all this kind of, like there, there was a little bit of chess, but I think in that instance, you're probably right. I think Carolina probably would have just kicked the field goal if Freeman hadn't called the timeout. That's what I thought.
2: I just thought it was something interesting that wasn't really talked about. That's yeah.
1: Yeah. So Salty asks, can Bertrand's targeting suspension for the first half of BYU be lifted by appealing to the NCAA or when officials review Saturday's call? Yes. So if you appeal to the NCAA and the NCAA backs your appeal or, you know, reverses the call, then they would essentially, this is why you you are able to, you can't appeal a first half targeting because obviously if it's a first half targeting, you're just ejected. For the you know for the second half of that game, but if it happens in the second half, then you've got a week and in a Notre Dame's case, obviously two weeks, but you've got a week until your next game. You can appeal to the NCAA, and if if they you know agree, you know and and reverse the call, then Bertrand's uh, suspension for the first half of BYU would be lifted if the NCAA were to rule in Notre Dame's favor if they appeal that. That's again that's a new rule this year that they just instituted where you can do that. Uh, Tyler Evans has a uh, super chat for us today, and I was saving that for uh, for rapid fire. What do you think of these coaches getting fired mid-season or early season
2: with huge buyouts? Uh, I think this might be in reference, because the only thing that I saw this week was <laughs> Herm Edwards getting the boot on the field well, after the Arizona State game. I don't know if there was any other ones you could probably fill me in um, on some of those.
1: The Georgia tech head coach just got fired. And of course, Herm Edwards got fired last week on and the then, field. Yeah. <laughs> well, he didn't get fired on the field, but the president in the AD said, we're going to meet with you tomorrow. And then he got the boot basically, but it's he never good when you're the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so Herm Edwards, and of course, Scott Frost did as well. We talked about Scott Frost after it happened and Basically if Nebraska had waited until October 1st instead of paying a 15 million dollar buyout, they would have only paid seven and a half million. And what I don't get, I don't get up. I don't get firing coaches in September. It, it makes no sense at all because yeah. you don't get a leg up. you know it's everyone else is still going through their seasons. You can't be interviewing other coach you know coaches while the season is going on. And all you're gonna do and like you know, like the question said, Yeah, I mean, the only the only thing that it can do, I guess, is benefit recruiting. But even then, it adds uncertainty because you don't know who the coaching staff is going to be. But like in the Scott Frost thing, it made absolutely no sense when when the like if 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 you're gonna fire a coach in week two or three, because I guess they played in zero weeks, so yeah, technically it was like after week two, their third game, but still. If you're gonna fire a coach that shoot soon, you should have fired him last year, because obviously you didn't have faith in him if you know if you're gonna make that kind of decision this soon. And you just end up paying more as well. It's just a it's just a poorly run organization, is what it comes down to when you're when you're making those kind of decisions this early in the season. So I, I think it's stupid to fire a coach in September. You should have fired him at the end of the last season if if you're willing to pull the trigger this soon.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm almost in complete agreement with what you're saying there. It's it to me. You already came into the season with a short leash, um, and you knew that. So why didn't you make the decision, you know, beforehand? Was was three games really going to sway your opinion? Like what? It, it, what? What would it take? You know, there's obviously this expectation list coming into a season that you have for these coaches if you're not going to fire them, but you're willing to fire them for you know four games into uh, the season. I'm not a fan of it. I think that you know. If you're going to fire someone, I think it should be in the second half of the season after they've proven kind of at least a half a resume that, you know, that, that this isn't going the, the way that you thought. And you just kind of want to get a head start, you know, on that next kind of coaching carousel. Uh, but right now, all that's going to happen is some sort of, you know, assistants going to become the interim head coach. You're not going to find a, a, a head coach in the, you know, this early in the season like that. So I've never understood it. I think it's just overall there's no advantage into firing a coach this early, um, unless you, it, it'd be one thing, I guess, here's the only th- circumstance in which I could see it. If you have a grossly overrated team, like say for some reason, Alabama started the season like Oh and four and, and they, and they can save and then go on to go eight and four. Well, then there's a clear and obvious distinction that it was the head coach, but I think that there's very few and far between cases where that's actually the case. Yes. Yes.
1: Fill in the blank. It was blank that ABC was cutting into the Clemson-Wake Forest game with a live split screen during Aaron Judge's home run chase Saturday.
2: It was so stupid and distracting. I I remember texting someone at some point. I said, "Who effing cares about (laughs) Aaron Judge? This is football. If I wanted to watch the baseball game, I would have flipped on the baseball game." You know, like I'm as the viewer making the decision that I want to watch football and I don't want to constantly be going back and forth between this Aaron Judge situation when Clemson and Wake Forest is going to double overtime you know it's just it's not it's not what i signed up for if i wanted to watch that <laughs> i would put it on i would buy a split screen tv picture in picture and put them both on i'd buy a second tv and have it going in the background something but when i'm dedicated to watching football i don't want this Aaron Judge thing popping up and overriding completely. It wasn't even like they were just putting on Aaron judges at bat. They were, you know, using the commentary instead, instead of the wake forest and Clemson game. So I thought overall, it was very annoying um, and very distracting for what I wanted to be doing. And that's watching football. Yeah. And now
1: before it went to overtime, they were doing this as well. And, you know, I started seeing people tweeting, man, they better not be doing this during the Notre Dame game. And they, decided not to once the Notre Dame game started, but they were doing it still during wake and Clemson. You're right. You know, like the fact that they were doing a 50, 50 split, and then they've got, you know, kind of like what we've got on our YouTube screen. It's, it's basically like that where you've got the two screens, but they're not even like taking up the full screen that, you know, they had other graphics and stuff like that around it. So it was so small and I actually did, you know, like they had the game on MLB Network and Bob Costas was calling it. So I'm like, I'm not going to watch it. I can't see anything on these two small screens. So I just flipped over for a minute to see what happened on MLB Network and then flip right back by the time the split screen was gone. But 99% of college football fans were just completely annoyed by it. If you wanted to watch Aaron Judge, which, you know, I you know, like it's – it's history. So again, I did actually flip over a couple times and then flip right back to the game. But if you wanted to watch Aaron Judge, go watch Aaron Judge. People who are watching Clemson and Wake Forest, 99% of them could not have cared less exactly. about what was going on with Aaron Judge. You know, if if anything, you could have, you know, just put a little scroll at at the bottom. You know, if it actually happened, Aaron Judge does whatever. But I I thought it was just completely off the mark by abc to think that that the audience for that game was was cared that much about Aaron Judge trying to break the uh the American League record trying to get his 61st home run and it was just like you said not only did they do that but they put up i think it was it was the yes network it was the Yankees yes. network call rather than keeping the call of the football game on and just showing you the baseball. And you could have, at, at the very most, you could have put it in a smaller box. But I, I just I just thought the whole thing was was uncalled for. They didn't need to do it at all. And I think most people agree. Okay. Um, the Chiefs look like they had the Colts beat after a sack of Matt Ryan late in the fourth quarter yesterday. But Chris Jones... Chiefs defensive lineman was flagged for unsportsmanlike <clears throat> conduct for trash talking. Oh, he trash talked to Matt Ryan after the sack. It prolonged the drive because they threw a flag and it led to the Colts game winning touchdown. Is it fair or foul for a professional football player to be flagged for trash talk like that?
2: It's foul for a professional sports, or, you know, really any professional athlete to be kind of. Flagged or teched up, or you know whatever you want to call it for that kind of situation. I'll tell you why, it happens every single play, every single play there is trash Somebody's talk between that's right. one person on one side and one person on the other. So if 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 here's what I'm gonna say, if if you're gonna call that on Chris Jones, then you better be calling that that penalty every time you hear guys trash talking. And you know what that's gonna lead to? A flag on every single play because that yeah. happens every single play. You can't pick and choose when it's time to throw a flag on someone because they said an F bomb to the other guy across the line of scrimmage. These are grown mid, they say it to each other every game. Indy Nation, a rule is a rule, uh, but you can't pick and choose when you want to enforce the rule. This can't, you know, especially right. in the because most critical You can't critical tell me that situation. was the only time that happened. No, right. you, you know, you they,
1: they the targeting, or not the target, the, the taunting thing and all that, but it was like, Come on. Come on.
2: It's like last year. Remember, what game was that where some guy like made a gesture towards the other team's sideline and got an unsportsmanlike penalty, and that team right. ends up coming back to win? I just don't like when these kind of situations uh, overtake a game or allow another team to win because that's essentially what happened. And I really don't care about what was said because, yeah. like I said, there's a lot of things. It doesn't matter what was said
1: because you can't tell said. me that – that something wasn't said on the play before that and probably the play after that by other people as you know in in the entire course of the game. Here's here's why I really brought this. One I completely agree. These are grown men. They're getting paid millions of dollars. Who cares what they say to each other? Who cares if they're tracking? This is not college, this is not high school. And quite frankly, I you know, you've been out there on a high school field as well and I've seen <laughs> and heard, you know, other accounts of You know, pretty bad stuff, you know, taking place on a high school field where where nothing was ever done, you know, in terms of unsportsmanlike conduct. Here's the real reason I brought it up, though. Here's what really grinded my gears on this. Because, again, they get the sack. The Colts are going to have to punt because there's like five and a half minutes left or something like that. So there was still time. The Chiefs are up by four. They were minus three and a half in that game and if the if if the point well even even with the colts the bottom line is i had a parlay on this game (laughs) i had the chiefs i had the chiefs giving the points and i had the under as well and they were sitting you know i had them at three and a half they were sitting with a four point lead at that point so if they had just forced the punt in all likelihood, the best case scenario was was, was that the Colts, you know, were going to have to try some desperation play at the end of the game. But as it was, I lose my parlay because Chris Jones talked trash to uh, to Matt Ryan.
2: After yeah, Saturday. and that's another, you know, aspect that that's, you know, these refs aren't taking into account because they don't care. But there's a lot of, you know, money on the line with games now. You can't just <laughs> exactly be throwing right. flags to throw flags like these are, Game-altering decisions, and you can't just decide when you want to pick and choose to enforce them. Like if you're gonna, if you're gonna do that, then I, as soon as someone says a bad word, the very first time of that game, you throw the flag, and you keep doing it, you know, throughout the entire game. But you can't tell me that no bad words were said before that Chris Jones penalty.
3: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
2: I thought it was hilarious. I thought, it, which is worse, uh, Garoppolo taking the Dan Orlovsky safety or the punter kicking it into his butt? Like, you pick which one you want. I'm going to go with the punter is worse because I can understand getting lost back there and kind of losing, you know, you're kind of uh, just where you are. But for a punter, he does it every single week. You practice punts backed up in your end zone like that. There's no excuse. I love the, frame sh- the freeze frame shot of the football, like forming around his butt. And it looks like he's like the ball is literally (laughs) up his butt. So (laughs) I thought it was, it was hilarious. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, it just can never happen.
1: I just flipped over on, on the ticket and I'm not sure who the analyst was, but he was saying, you know, should, should the dolphins just take a safety here, just run out of the back of the end zone rather than risk this punt. And then what happens Butt punt, you know, so it's like you you would have been better off just snapping it out of the back of the end zone and not even touching it, you know, because they were very fortunate that 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 ball didn't ricochet and get recovered by the Bills in the end zone. But it was it was a crazy play. First time I've seen that. And then, like you said, you had the Orlovsky Garoppolo play yesterday as well. So it was just uh, kind of one of those days, just just uh, a weird day in the NFL that kind of stuff in an ugly game last night in that Sunday game that you were talking about.
2: Oh these uh, these Sunday night games have been brutal. Like that game is Russell Wilson even a good quarterback anymore? Like one drive and, and I can't remember who it was, but it's like he's missing just easy passes. I don't I don't know what's going on with him right now. But yeah, Sunday night football has not been fun so far.
1: Yeah Michael said there's no way that's the correct formation. Why have a personal protector backed up in the end zone that is a good question because I mean there was barely what maybe four or five yards between them from where the personal protector was to you know to where the punter was lined up at the back of the end zone it 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 was it was pretty tight back there I'm not sure why you'd have that either it's like you almost just need him standing you know between the guard and the center or something like that in that gap just to protect it I don't know LeBron James tweeted this over the weekend. Do I have college eligibility if I want if I went to play another sport besides basketball? How does that role work? Would you like to see LeBron play another sport in
2: college, Jesse? No, I wouldn't like to see LeBron play another <laughs> college sport. It's college sports for a reason. Could he compete based off of pure athleticism? Sure. But, you know, these are college kids. They're chasing a dream uh, that they want. LeBron's lived his dream. He's still living his dream. He's going to continue to live his dream for a couple more years. Um, I think his ultimate dream is to play in the NBA with his sons. Um, Major coincidence that the NBA Players Association is now trying to get the rule changed where you can can come into the NBA uh, straight from high school as LeBron's years are running out and his sons are approaching the NBA. I thought that was a funny segue, very coincidental. Um, I thought it was funny today that the Ohio State athletic director tweeted back at LeBron and said that, Basically, if you never pursued uh, a professional path in said sport, you can you have the eligibility left to play another sport. Meaning, yeah, like Jr.
1: Smith. Jr. Smith is playing college golf,
2: right? And so LeBron knew the answer to the question. It was just all a, a, a publicity stunt to get some attention, to get you know some attractiveness around his tweet. He's not an idiot. He his best friend is <laughs> Jr. Smith. You know he knows these things. It was just to. Just, you know, I love LeBron, but at the same time, he just was, you know, floating one out there just to get people to respond and say, oh, we'd love to see you play football at Ohio State. You know, that's what he was looking for. So
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what he was looking for. Like, like he needs more love and attention thrown his way at this point. It would, you know, and where he is with his body right now. Like, I'd like to see him actually, go, like, maybe go to Jackson State and play tight end for Deion Sanders or, or something like that. You know, like, if it was going to happen, go to a smaller – Go to a a smaller school, not Ohio State necessarily. I think that'd be a good matchup for them. Last question tonight, Jess. Fill in the blank. It's blank that Rihanna has been announced as the Super Bowl halftime featured musical act.
2: Just so you you don't do it again, it's Rihanna. I I heard it said
1: both ways. I thought it was Rihanna. But I heard it on NFL Network all day as Rihanna.
2: Well, all those NFL Network people are wrong. They influenced you to be wrong, but luckily you have a 26-year-old son that is always here to keep you up and (laughs) modern and hip. All right. Uh, (laughs) But (laughs) I think it's it's great that Rihanna has been announced as a Super Bowl halftime uh, musical act. I think that uh, we've kind of seen this – what should I say kind of path recently of kind of, you know, similar art artists that uh, are, are very similar, kind of have the same background, kind of hip hop, rappy, you know, a uh, person of influence at the halftime show. They must've been doing well. I think it's always great to see female artists out there, especially, you know, African-American female artists. I think it's great to have as much diversity um, as possible. And I think that she's going to nail it. She's going to put on a good show. She always does. It'd be kind of, you know, Now, I'm not saying she's the same level as Beyonce, but you can expect the same kind of performance. You know, like it's going to be a great show overall. Um, I don't think that I think it's a step back maybe from, you know, like the Kendrick Lamar stuff that we've seen in the past. That might be a little bit too much for people. I definitely think that Rihanna is that kind of in between of, you know, kind of the all different genres of groups of people that you're trying to hit. I know you're not a huge fan of past Super Bowl shows. So that this is kind of a step down from that. It's a notch down from that. And I think that that's what the aim was with going with someone like Rihanna. It's more neutral. Yeah. It appeals to more people overall. Rihanna. Rihanna. She's the umbrella Ella Ella singer.
1: <laughs> there we she? go. Yes. Yeah. I remember that one from from way back. That's pretty much all I could tell you about her. I've never been a, you know, I wouldn't even say a fan. But... They want to skew younger. I mean the average age of an NFL viewer is skewing older and I think that's why we saw, you know, like a a hip-hop type halftime performance last year and that's why they're going with her this year, uh you know cuz you know let's let's be honest, they've already recycled <laughs> a lot of the uh the people in in my demographic, you know, they've been through a lot of them from the Stones to Springsteen and, and on and on and on. So they're skewing younger right now. Prince Prince was Prince was an all timer, I thought. Prince was uh was great, but I just there's really nobody I think in that league right now that, that would appeal to uh you know to a large audience. So I'll be curious to see who they end up getting, you know, as kind of the side acts along with her, because there's always somebody besides just the main performer.
2: Yeah, then that's the other thing is like they announced Rihanna, but there's gonna be other parts to it, right? Like when have we? When was the last time we saw like a full solo act at the halftime yeah. uh, of the Super Bowl? But speaking of NFL, I think we need to bring up that Irish shytown Town question. Uh, he he just threw it out there, threw me up a lob. I'm gonna have to gonna have to give this one a, a quick response before we before Prediction we sign for off tonight. Boys Giants tonight. 23 to 13, Irish Chi Town. That's going to be the final score. Uh, CD Lamb is going to grab his first touchdown. Ezekiel Elliott is going to grab a touchdown tonight on the ground. Throw all those together in a parlay. Put five dollars on it. Win yourself some money tonight. And then thank <laughs> me next time you see me.
1: Dan, Danny Dimes, I think he's going to have a tough, tough time with number 11 out yeah, there. Yeah, the, that,
2: that guy, Micah Parsons, is you know making it very hard. Uh, for for some opposing defenses, and let's just say that the Giants will not be one of three remaining undefeated teams by by the time that this night is over. I hope not. I hope not. You know, I'd feel more
1: confident if number four was quarterbacking, but you know that is kind of the X factor in this. I was impressed with what Cooper Rush did last week, but. I'm uh, I'm kind of anxiously awaiting this to see what might actually happen. Well, good thing that this show took us
2: to like 7.20, so we don't have to wait much longer.
1: That's true. We don't have very long, do we? No. All right. Well, great stuff as always. Thanks to everybody for joining us tonight. Again, you know, of course, we're going to be here all week, all next week, all season. For that matter, Jess, great stuff as always. I will talk to you later in the week. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. We're going to sign off. Right now, hit that like button if you would, if you already haven't, before you take off. And otherwise, we'll talk to you tomorrow on Ivy Nation Sports Talk.